The following message was recorded as part of the morning worship celebration of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church in Eatonton, Georgia. More information about the ministries, staff, and worship offerings of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church can be found on our website at www.lopc-pca.org. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. I want to thank the session here at Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church for affording me uh, this opportunity to come and uh, be with you here this morning, uh, knowing that you have come and assembled yourselves to worship the Lord. It would be uh, most appropriate that in doing so, uh, we would hear from His Word and we would have His Word preached among us. So if you would please stand. I'm going to be reading from uh, Luke chapter 4 this morning. Our text will be found uh, beginning in the 14th verse of Luke chapter 4. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, and as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Thus ends the reading of this portion of God's holy and errant word. Please be seated. As long as I've been in the pastoral ministry, one of the pillars, one of the tenets uh, for my involvement in the Lord's work as a senior pastor has been to be involved in leading whatever group of people I was involved with in the evangelization of their community and in the evangelization of the world. I do not see how anyone can do an honest reading of God's Word and conclude anything other than we as God's people, we must be involved in evangelism. You might ask, why? Why? Could you give me some other reason, preacher? Many of you are probably familiar with the uh, evangelism explosion diagnostic question. It goes something like this. If you were to die tonight and stand before God and God was to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say to God? My friends, that's a compelling question, is it not? Is that not indeed the most important interrogative and inquiry that any soul could take upon himself or herself? That most profound of all questions, what is your eternal disposition? What shall happen to you when your days in this earth are no more? Well, we know that the fact of the matter is that there are millions of people who are lost in this world and who are without salvation. My friends, that is sobering even to ponder that thought for a minute. That moment by moment by moment by moment in each and every day there are people who are passing from this earthly existence and then in 
to eternity without Christ. And we know the commentary of the Son of God on the disposition of those who do not believe in Him. And you see, we have something for that, don't we? God has not left us impotent. He has not left us with our hands empty and not able to do something. We know that God has given us the good news that they need. And and that's what we saw in this text as I read it to you this morning. That Jesus Christ, having gone back to his hometown, having just been tempted by the devil himself in the wilderness, goes back to Nazareth, goes to the synagogue, is handed the scroll from Isaiah, and he reads these most uh, amazing words of good news. You see, as Christians, our reason for evangelizing the lost is found in our Lord's burden for the lost. Don't you agree with me that when Jesus was standing there in that synagogue that day in the small town in the north of Galilee known as Nazareth, that he, the Son of the living God, was burdened with the fact that there were so many maybe so many within the hearing of his very words that were lost and were dying without salvation. Jesus articulates his burden for the lost by saying, I have good news. Good news that he says the poor people need to hear and prisoners need to hear this good news and blind people need to hear it and those who are oppressed and those who are indebted, all these, Jesus says, need to hear the good news that I have for them. Let me ask you this question as we began this morning. Ought not we, the very disciples of Jesus Christ, ought not we to have the same burden as Jesus had that day and my friend still has even to this very Moment? How could we say that we are faithful followers of Jesus Christ and not likewise be burdened to bring the good news to those who need it so desperately? I have a simple goal this morning, and that is that through the presence of the Holy Spirit of God, whom I know is here with us this day, that all of us would be gripped with a burden for unbelievers that we would know why we must evangelize. I am not here this morning to teach you how to evangelize. I do not have some formula or plan to teach you how to evangelize. You have elders and deacons and pastors here. They can teach you how. I want to ever convince you this morning, yea, I want to even make you uncomfortable to some degree with this issue of why we must evangelize. And so I bring to you this day three insights into this good news that Jesus made such a big deal about 2,000 years ago. You see, we as believers, we have the good news. I want to show you that, that we have this good news. And I want to press upon your soul the fact that unbelievers, oh, they need the good news. And then finally and consequently, I want to bring to your attention The fact that we as believers are the continuing propagators of the good news. Yea, Jesus has left us in his stead. 
He has said, you are my covenant people. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are those through whom I will make an appeal and an entreaty to this dark and dying world. I want us to leave this morning realizing that that is indeed what we are to be concerned with. The answer as to why evangelize? Why evangelize? How long perhaps have you ever contemplated that question? Well, it's found in the good news. The first insight I bring to you this morning is simply put, believers have the good news. I read verse 18 again, Jesus reading from the scroll of Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. See, Jesus reminds us from Isaiah that there is good news. And as a believer in Christ, we have the good news. Our lives have been changed by what Jesus himself was talking about, this good news. Well, what is it? Let us break it down. Let us peel back the layers of of this onion here. Let us understand what is it that Jesus is saying to us because he does not use a lot of words Oh, but my friend, those words that he read from Isaiah, those are the very words that I feel best define and encapsulate and bring us to a point of understanding, what is this good news we have? Well, it's good news about forgiveness of sins. In verse 19, Jesus speaks of the year of the Lord's favor. Now, the reference here is undoubtedly in my mind and in the mind of countless theologians To the year of Jubilee, we know in the Levitical law, every 50 years, all debts were relieved. So what is this good news? Every day is the year of Jubilee. God forgives the debt of sin in the life of any and all who will believe. There is forgiveness. There is the absolute relieving of the debt of of sin. Jesus said it in Mark 2 when he said to the paralytic that he raised up from his mat, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. We just prayed the Lord's Prayer this morning. What did we say? We said to God in our prayer, oh God, forgive us of our debts. So we have good news about forgiveness of sins. But we also have good news about freedom from sin. Jesus spoke of freedom for the prisoners and release for the oppressed. Are unbelievers to forever be imprisoned in their sin? Are unbelievers without end to be oppressed by their sin? Not according to the good news that Jesus Christ was espousing that day in Nazareth. Jesus, you recall, said so much about freedom and so much about liberty. And one of the most profound things he said was, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. So what is this good news, this gospel that we have about the freedom from sin? You see, God sets those who are imprisoned in sin and oppressed by sin. My friend, he sets them free. He delivers those who are bound up by it and incapable of releasing themselves. They cannot escape the impression. But yet the gospel is so good in its news that it says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and your soul will spring forth from its bondage. My friend, that is very, very good news that we can bring to a world that you know as well as I is so sorely bound up in sin, so captivated by it, so in bondage to it, so enslaved by it. Think about good news in this way. When Jesus spoke, he spoke about good news about recovery from sin. He said, I speak of recovery of sight for the blind. Now, unbelievers can have spiritual vision that they never possessed before. Isn't isn't that amazing? That what Jesus is is obviously talking about is is not that he was going to set up some kind of, of optical store and that he was going to be an ophthalmologist and we likewise would all be ophthalmologists and do something about this vision problem in the world as we would think of it in those terms. We know that what Jesus was talking about was spiritual vision. That blind eyes would be opened by the good news. Jesus says, I have come into this world so that the blind will see in John 9. You recall that great miracle. A man born blind. And in the providence of God, Jesus comes along and he restores the sight to this man who had never seen anything in his life. And Jesus said, that's why I've come. And we know he didn't come to physically restore physical vision to every person who was blind. We know that he came to give spiritual vision. Sin is the cause of spiritual blindness, and God can grant recovery from sin. So would you agree with me this morning that we have good news? We don't have a bill of goods. We're not trying to use a switch and bait technique on anybody. We are bringing to this lost and dying world the remedy for every one of their consequential problems in this life. We have the good news. We can show people where their debt of sin can be forgiven. We can show people how they can have true liberty. True freedom. Would you not agree with me that this world is longing to know freedom? Oh, how they ache and yearn in their heart for someone to come along and give a message or something that would set them free. And Jesus says, that's what the good news is all about. Helping people to be in the process of recovering from spiritual blindness as well. Think about it for a moment. Good news to someone who is in extreme financial debt would be what? If you know someone in extreme financial debt, would it not be the best news to say, I have taken care of all of your debts. I've gone to your banker. I've gone to your creditor. I've gone to the person who wrote your mortgage note on your home. I've gone to the car dealership, and I've addressed all these financial issues, all of these debts, and and you have them no more. Do you think they would smile and jump for joy? They might grasp you around the neck, wrestle you to the ground, and kiss you on your face. (laughs) I think they would. Think about good news to someone in prison. What if you went to the local prison here, and and having, uh, prior to your visit, you had gone to Atlanta, 
and you had met with the governor of the great state of Georgia, and you had brokered the pardon and full release of such prisoner, and then you had in your hands a decree from the governor of the state of Georgia, you brought with it, with it to this man, and you handed it to him, and you said, you are now, at this moment, forever pardoned and set free from prison. What a day it would be. Think about good news to someone who is blind, someone who's been afflicted with blindness. If you are able to say, I have, I have found a cure for your condition, it has, it has been discovered, and, and all you need to do is receive from my hand this antidote, this remedy, take this medicine, rub this salve on your eyes, take this pill, whatever it is, don't you think they would be incredibly thankful? Well, my friend, we have this kind of good news to bring people. They just don't, they just don't realize it yet, do they? They don't understand their blindness. They don't understand their debt before God. They don't understand their bondage. But what is it that is keeping us from going and telling them? We have the best news, the best news that this world could ever hear. And Jesus spoke about it there in Nazareth. That day when he said, I tell you, I have good news. I tell you, I have come to bring this good news that's going to change many, many lives. Let's move on and look at a second insight that we gleaned from what Jesus said that day in Nazareth. And it has to do with the fact that unbelievers need the good news. It would serve us well to truly understand the plight of an unbeliever. Why do unbelievers so need the good news? Maybe, speculate with me for a moment. Ponder this thought with me for a moment. Maybe the reason why we are not more zealous, not more active or even proactive in evangelizing our community and our world is we don't really understand the gravity of the situation that unbelievers are in. Maybe our heart has never been touched. Maybe our mind has never truly been engaged with what God's Word says about the plight of the unbeliever. Let me give you several reasons from this text why unbelievers so need the good news. Unbelievers are bankrupt in regards to righteousness. It's no coincidence that Jesus used the term the, the poor. Now, historically, some have misinterpreted Christ and and they have made far too much out of this phrase, the poor, thinking that what it's really about is we must focus all of our efforts on those who are materially destitute in this world. Now, we know we are commanded to, to care for the poor and reach out to the poor and, and help the poor. So I'm not, I'm not demeaning that whatsoever. But I think you know as well as I do that Jesus' primary meeting was those who are poor, poor in righteousness. Poor in, in righteousness. Let me ask you just how bankrupt is an unbeliever when it comes to righteousness. Just how insufficient are the funds in their account? How high does their check bounce in the presence of the Almighty? Well, let me just read a couple passages for you from Romans 3. 
There is no one righteous, no, not one. Isaiah 64, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Unbelievers don't just, my friend, have limited righteousness. They have, hear me, absolutely no righteousness, no righteous standing before God. They're not 50% justified or 25% justified. They are non-justified. And there is no more horrific, no more catastrophic place to be in this world in which God created and to be in a position before a holy God and to your account there is nothing but condemnation where there should be righteousness. Think about that for a minute. You know God does not grade on a curve, right? Any professors, any teachers here? You're, you're, you're gracious, I know you are. You helped the, the C become a B, maybe a B become an A. My friend, God says, unless you score 100% on your test, and we know we don't, then you get a zero. Think about this. Unbelievers are blind in regards to truth. Jesus speaks not just about the poor, those who are destitute when it comes to righteousness, but he speaks of the blind. Spiritually, unbelievers have no ability to see and discern the truth of the gospel. No ability. Let's don't fool ourselves. Let's don't play some kind of game with God and with our world. My friend, they see nothing in the spiritual realm. And you say, that's a rather dogmatic position to take, preacher. Where in the world are you deducing that? We'll hear from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. From none other than the great apostle Paul himself, who said, our gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, hear me, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. My friend, they don't just have spiritual glaucoma. They don't just have spiritual 2040 vision. As we say in Alabama, where I'm from, they are blind as bats. Yes, they are. When it comes to the truth, they are blind as bats. And they cannot behold the glory of God and the gospel because they are blinded. Let's be real clear about that. Let's don't pretend that it isn't what it is. They are destitute in their righteousness. They have zero. They cannot see the glory of God in the gospel. They are blind. Their eyes, shall we say, have been removed. And they have no spiritual vision of any form or fashion. Now, if that wasn't enough, let me give you a third reason why unbelievers need the good news. Unbelievers are condemned in regards to sin. Jesus uses these Words that give us the idea of being in prison and not long having been in prison does come your day when the executioner is brought into your life. He talks about those who are prisoners and those who are oppressed. As a prisoner of sin and unbelief, it is just a matter of time 
just a matter of time until the day of condemnation. Now, I know there's nothing delightful to even think about that. It's a sobering thought to ponder. It's a, it's a humbling thought to consider. But it is indeed the fact of the matter. Let me quote from Jesus Christ himself, the master teacher, John 3. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Unbelievers have a desperate need for the good news, do they not? Oh, they do. They are bankrupt in regards to righteousness, and they are blind in regards to truth, and they are condemned in their sinful unbelief. Paul in Ephesians would go as far as describing in the most startling terms, I think, that he ever used to describe the condition of an unbeliever before a holy God when he would say that we were by nature objects of the wrath of the Almighty. If that doesn't wake us up to the need of unbelievers who are by nature objects of the wrath of God. Let me engage you with this discussion for a moment. What is the key to success in America's free enterprise system? I know this is a highly debated topic these days. I'm not ignorant of the, of the political firestorms and of recent elections. But think about that with me for a moment. If, if you set your, your life on the course in this great country in which we live, and, and what you wanted to do is make the most of the free enterprise system. Now, you did see in the bulletin that I do have a college degree in business from Auburn University. Did you notice that? Okay. We're flying well under the radar these days, the Auburn nation. But we'll leave that for lunch discussions, okay? Wouldn't you want to provide something that people need? Wouldn't you? Isn't that the very core of our of our economic model? Don't we call it supply and demand? I remember those economics classes back in the early 80s at, at Auburn University, and my professors taught me all about this. They quizzed me on it. They tested me on it. They made me write papers on it. They said, gentlemen, when you go out into this world, if you're going to be successful in this free enterprise system, you must understand what the, the, the demand is. And then make sure what you're supplying is what is in demand. If not, they were real clear with us. They said, you will go out of business. Let me ask you, do Eskimos need ice? How many of you want to go to, to where the Eskimos live and set up an ice factory and sell the Eskimos ice? You'd say, no. <laughs> I don't think there's much demand there. Do you want to go to the great state of Iowa and set up a corn store? And say, I'm here to sell you folks in Iowa corn. You don't know anything about it? Preposterous, preposterous to say the least. How about going to China and trying to sell the Chinese rice? They would laugh at you, wouldn't they? Well, what is it, my friend, that unbelievers need? Do they really need more money? 
do they, do they really need political elections to go their way? Do they really need more education? Do they, do they really need a, another membership at, at another uh, prominent institution? Do they, do they need more fame? Do they need more glory? Do they need more power? Do they need more notoriety? Do they need these things? Well, they might think they need these things, but I'm here to tell you what they need most of all is what we have. You see, Jesus knew this full well. He knew what supply and demand was all about. He knew that there was going to be and was in his day and is in our day a great demand, a great need for what we have. My friend, we have storehouses and warehouses full of the good news. We have the logistics wherein we can transport the good news to the people. We understand the good news. We know how to communicate the good news. Because, my friend, that's what they need. But let's move on and let me talk with you a few minutes in closing about how we as believers are the continuous propagators of the good news. Follow with me. I read verse 20 and 21 again. It says, Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Yes, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the good news. I don't think anyone here is going to want to argue that fact, are they? He, the head of the church, the son of the living God, ascended to the right hand of God the Father, wherein he says, My Father has given me all authority in heaven and on earth. This is true, but my friend, we are the ongoing fulfillment. Let me take you back to that most unsettling of days in the life of those disciples who faithfully walked with Jesus for three years. They beheld his grace and glory. They saw him raise people from the dead. They saw him walk on the water. They saw him feed the masses with a little bit of food. They saw him do so many amazing things. But they always seemed to be so consternated, so even exasperated when he would say, one day I'm going to Jerusalem and evil men are going to lay their hands on me. And they are going to kill me, yea, crucify me, and then I am going to go back to my Father in heaven. And it all happened just like Jesus said, precisely as he said. But perhaps the most unsettling episode in all of that which Jesus spoke about was that day on the Mount of Olives when they were loitering around their risen Savior. And there he went. Translated into the clouds, into the heavenly glory of his Father again. Can you imagine the most immediate conversation that took place? <laughs> Can you imagine those stares one at another? He's gone. <laughs> what, what are we going to do now? Well, my friend, that was not Jesus making an escape to his Father. That was according to the eternal plan of God that has always been in place for all eternity. That Jesus would come. He would be the mediator of the new covenant. He would make atoning sacrifice. He would shed his blood unto death to do everything that the gospel then would be so good in the lives of those who needed it 
And then he would go back to his father and he would leave us here. But let me show you why we are the continuing propagators of the good news. You see, we like Jesus Christ who said, I am anointed. We too are spiritually anointed. Yes, we are. And I know I'm a Presbyterian preacher preaching in a Presbyterian church, and I'm talking about the anointing of God. Yes, I am. Acts chapter 1. Jesus said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we know that happened too, right? We call it the day of Pentecost, right? In the upper room, quivering, shaking like a leaf on a tree, their knees knocking, their lives in peril. And then the Holy Spirit came. We call that, we call that the anointing of God. It came upon those original apostles and those followers, and my friend, they spilled out into the streets of Jerusalem. And they would not be silenced. Peter, James, and John were brought before the religious authorities and told to shut up, and we will beat you until you do. They said, we must obey God above what you are telling us to do. Why? Because you see, they were anointed. My friend, if you are a born-again believer here this morning, if you have had your life transformed by the power of the living God, by the Holy Spirit that Jesus spoke of, who baptized you with fire, then my friend, you have the identical anointing as did those early apostles. We have the power. We have not been given, the apostle would say, a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and a spirit of power and a spirit of a sound and sober mind. So that's the first reason why we are to be the continuing propagators of the good news In Jesus' stead, because he has done exactly what he said he would do, he has anointed us with his power. Let me give you a second reason. We are sent to proclaim. And this is much more elementary, but no less important. Mark 16, Jesus simply said, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation." Jesus was sent by whom? He was sent by the Father and the Holy Spirit into this world to do the work that he was told to do. And likewise, we too have a commission. We too have received marching orders from God himself. So let us not think for a moment that we don't have some kind of official sanctioning or official commissioning by God. If you're looking for that, look no further. Mark 16, Matthew 28, the scriptures are replete with this commission. We have the permission 
that we need from God to take the good news to the world. And thirdly, we are the outworking of God's plan. You know, this is the most amazing thing about kingdom work to me, maybe not to you, but to me. That God knows exactly whom he has to work with. When Jesus left that day from the Mount of Olives and ascended back to his Father, he knew what was left behind. Who were these original apostles? They were really a ragamuffin gathering of folks, weren't they? Sorted types, former fishermen, tax collectors, former prostitutes, and, and the like. Not a very distinguished gathering, would you, when you think about the fact that God intends to bring his kingdom to the ends of the world. But you see, God knows exactly with what he has to work with. Us, you and me. <laughs> and he would have it no other way. God's not writing messages in the sky, is he? He's not sending visions and he's not sending angelic beings to, to be lowered into our presence and, and bring us glorious types of messages. He's not doing that. My friend, he's making use of us, the rank and file foot soldiers. And the army of the Lord of hosts. I love 2 Corinthians 5. I love this passage. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Listen to this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, and he is, I assure you, I assure you that that is God's prescription. What is our reason for evangelizing our community and world? And I thank you so much for your patience. Look no further than the words of Christ himself. We have the good news, just like Jesus spoke of it. And unbelievers need the good news, and we are to be the propagators, my friend, of the good news. We live in a world filled with bad news, don't we? Bad news, bad news, bad news. Divorce is on the rise. Legalized abortion continues to be practiced. There are wars in Afghanistan. There are wars in Syria. There are still a war in Iraq. This world is on fire with war. There's genocide taking place in parts of Africa. In Nigeria, I hear the stories of how Christians are being slaughtered and being brought to the point of martyrdom. There are militant terrorists plotting our demise. Social ills and mores like drunkenness and drug abuse are, are at an all-time high. Just last week, we had several states in our union vote to legalize marijuana, more voting even to legalize gay marriage. Pornography is a multi-billion dollar industry in our country, and children born to single-parent homes is at an all-time high. I could go on and on and on and on, but you know the portrait well. I need not paint it any further. This is a dark and dying world. 
And people are longing. My friend, they're longing for someone to bring them good news. And we have it. Our bad news world needs it. That's why we are to evangelize our community and pray with them. Jesus, those words that you spoke and, and read from the scroll of Isaiah 2,000 years ago, how they live unto this very day for your people, how they speak to us so directly, how they call us onto the carpet and challenge us to understand the world in which we live, to understand the grace that is in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yea, we call it the good news. To know, Father, that you have given us the high and holy privilege, as Paul would say, of being ambassadors for Christ, to make this entreaty to the world that there is another way. Father, I pray for every soul here present this morning and for myself as well, that through your indwelling Holy Spirit, that you would motivate us and spur us on to love and good deeds as it relates to evangelism. If we need training, get us training. If we need opportunities, help someone to show us how to take advantage of the opportunities. But let it be known among God's people that we are those who share the good news. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.